Okay, good morning, everybody. Today, Bezrat Hashem will be starting the um, 15th parak on Daf Kufya Dalar on the base of Masechus Yavamos. And we're going to talk about oh, a beautiful scenario. What's better than that? Shalom beino, leveino, shalom ba'olam. Doesn't get better than that. Baruch Hashem, they are getting along beautifully. It's their anniversary. Peace in the world. And they're off on a cruise. What could be bad? Well, Yavamo sponsored to you, brought to you by Chas V'Shalom. Uvav Amram Meish Ba'ali. Doesn't take long in Yavamo's for tragedy to strike. And she returns and says Meish Ba'ali. Now, we've already seen this case, by the way. It's Yavamo's. This has tremendous Yavamo's consequences, right? What if he died childless? And now there needs to be Yibum, right? This was their first anniversary. And they went on a trip. He died childless. Now... Would they do Yibum based off of her testimony? She's an Eid Echad, she's an Ogabidavar, all of these things, right? But they were off on a cruise, nobody else was around. So we had already said, this is an assumption, that the woman is desirous of staying with her husband. Nobody wants the scenario of, this hus- of her getting remarried and this not necessarily dead husband coming back. Nobody is less interested in that scenario than the woman. Right, this, uh, she would never say this unless she really knew it. So this is why she's Naamanis. We'll get into that uh, soon. But now we're not even talking about Yavamas. Just the the whole daf will be talking about these cases of Naamanis. What do you do in a case of tragedy? And not always when there is tragedy are there witnesses. Right, it's chaos. And so, what is the believability? You know, Avari Leibowitz, the great Dafyomi master, toured around with some of the people in, you know, Zaka and all these other organizations, and they have in Sahal uh, also, and in Israel and, and other places, these Jewish organizations that have to figure out what to do in a 9-11 tragedy or other, uh, you know, Piguachas v'shalom, there's scenarios, right, tragic scenarios, where they have to find out what the story is, obviously the implications, that is the topic of this Mishnah, so. The first case is just everything is Shalom Beinah Levinah. And as we said, the reason why we believe her is because she has every reason to um, not believe that this is true. And she would never say this unless it was true. And therefore, the mission says, Tinase, we let her get married. Or, and that we've already learned, right? So in other words, whether the ramification is her getting remarried or even, more, or even to, to do the Yibum, we allow it, as we've discussed, based off of that single wife's testimony. What's the difference between the first case and the second case? The first case is just one of regular kiddushin that she wants to get remarried to somebody afterwards because, let's say she had children, right? There's no yibum in the first case. And the second case is tidyabim because she's, there's only one case so far. So far, there's only one case. In other words, meis ba'ali tinasei, meis ba'ali tisyabim. It's the same case. It's just one, the implication, one, the uh, ramification is that she can get remarried. And then the other one is actually she can't get remarried yet because there's a yibum that needs to be done. And therefore she does yibum. But so far it's only, it's the same case, only um, the only difference being whether the husband died childless and has a paternal brother or not. Was that your question? Yes. Okay. So now. That's when everything's peaceful. However, psychology now. Let's say they, they're a lovely couple, but it's a chaos, chaotic uh, wartime. Or 
or they're not getting along, the world's doing fine, but the Shalom Bayis is, is stinks, and between them there's a war that's not going fine. In that case, amazingly, she reports that her husband died, we don't believe her. We will get into the reasoning for this. Two different kinds of psychological reasonings between whether there's peace in the world or war in the world or war in the house. We'll see. Which is to say, even in a case where there's shalom everywhere, the only time we could really believe her, she has to sell it, Barry. <laughs> like, if we don't see that she's properly upset, then we have to suspect perhaps an ulterior motive. In other words, if she's not coming crying and distraught, then, then it seems too fishy and we don't let her get remarried. It's an interesting... Another, again, because there's going to be a lot of psychology here um, that Rabbi Yehuda is uh, referring to. And then, Amru Lo, the Chum said back to Rabbi Yehuda, Gadea Kruin, she, she tore her garments, like in, a, in an act of Avelis. Oh, I don't think I, I, I said that, um, spelled it out. Yeah. We don't believe her. Elam Kinbat Bocha, she comes crying, translating it, with Gadea Kruin, and her, and her garments are torn. So you could say that's an Avelis. But the truth of the matter is, even if she comes... A month later, and she's in Shloshim, but no longer in Avelis. We're talking about a right that she had an appearance, a distraught appearance, right? He's really more referring to the fact that she's distraught than the fact that her begadim um, are torn for Avelis per se. It's not a halachic thing; it's a psychological thing, meaning it's a psychology that affects halacha. Okay, so if she does not seem distraught enough. We might think that there is something fishy. However, Amrulo, Achazu, Achazu Tinase. The Chachamim are not looking for such uh, signs because, you know, some people keep it on the inside. You can't, you can't assume uh, somebody else's feelings based on how they're processing a tragedy, right? And so that is the Chachamim Shita that, no, regardless of what she appears like in terms of how distraught she is, we will believe her in times of peace. Now the Gemara is going to explain why we would not believe her in times of peace as follows. Says the Gemara. First thing that the mission is pointing out is the reason why we have this sh- the, spelling out the peacetime between the husband and the wife, or in the world at large, is simply where where we could have just said It's simply a stylistic thing, because later we're going to talk about cases of war or of marital discord. So that's why we are introducing that there's peace in the world, but you know. In the, in the first case, that's all. It's just a stylistic thing to create a contrast. That's all the Gemara is saying so far. And so therefore, we talked about a case where there's marital bliss because later we're going to talk about marital discord. And we're talking about times of peace in the first part of the Mishnah in order to contrast with the times of war, which we'll just be discussed in the later part of the Mishnah. And therefore, that's the only reason, no other reason. But now we're going to get into what, in fact, is the reasoning behind this halacha? Why do we not believe her in times of war? Amar Rava, my time of the milchama, mishum de amra bidedame. Wow. Rashi bidedame, umad liba. Barry, she's imagining it. Dedame, like dimyon, like imagination. In other words, in wartime, there's panic. And in panic, your head isn't right. Right, so as we'll see, wartime doesn't necessarily require an official declaration of war. 
even the, the, not, the tower is falling down. That's wartime, as we will see, right? In, the, in what sense? Right, and, and you don't say if there's a pogrom in the town, oh, this isn't really a war, it's really just a pogrom. It's the same thing, meaning psychologically, if there's a tragedy, people are dying everywhere. People are scattering and, and scat few are actually surviving. There's a survival sort of mentality that comes with an anxiety and an assumption that I made it out alive, but he didn't make it out alive. And that's why we don't believe her, Barry, because she is psychologically right now stressed and she doesn't realize that it's possible that he made it out alive. She's too grieved and stressed out and freaked out. That's what it means, but the dummy. In other words, she's imagining it. Her heart is telling her. But we know that it's just like she survived. He may have survived. And therefore, we don't believe her because she's saying it under stress. That's why we don't believe her by Melchama. Ah. In other words, She's going to think, we're looking inside her head now, and we say, she thinks, she thinks that all these people died. The towers fell. Who, Paulette? What, he got out? Who, who escaped such a thing? I, she did. Okay. But she, she feels like she was really like an outlier, like Hashem's hand literally scooped her out of there. But otherwise, she doesn't know how she survived. And she assumes everyone else didn't. Okay. Now, fine. So now, says the Gemara, and Imtim Salomar, even if you're going to say, Right? But you'll say, wait a minute. Uh, so the towers fell down. She was in there with her husband. But she, they were high school sweethearts. I mean, she's loved them her whole life. Natra, isn't she going to wait until she finds out what's going on? Even if you'll say that, it, so then I'll tell you that the case is a little different. I'll say, No, there was a pogrom. She saw him at some point. She was running. I mean, she was running for her life. Otherwise, she was never going to make it. And she saw him with a spear sticking out of his heart, right? A gira, an arrow, a rumcha, a spear. So she, she was already thinking, oh, she was already basically in a velas over this guy. She saw him running around with a spear sticking out of his heart. And it's like, in her mind, she was, he has already died. But even if that's the case, you know, there could have been a guy, a medic, who put a dressing on that and cleaned the wound, and maybe survived. So we already see that what, what uh, they're saying is that we're talking about a scenario where it seemed unlikely in her mind due to the chaos and the stress that he survived. And so whether you'll say that she saw him and she saw something, again, if she saw him fall um, and splatter like a watermelon on the pavement into a thousand pieces, so then obviously that's a different thing. But we're talking about a scenario where she did not verify that she saw him die. As long as she, as we see that what she's doing is speculating, and we know that she's under stress, we simply don't trust it because we don't know it to be the case. She assumes it to be the case because she's, right, freaked out. But we, in the absence of actual visual confirmation on her part. Now, if she said, by the way, if she said, he died in my arms and I buried him, as we'll see, we believe her. Again, this is not a question of Naamanas, right? It's not that we don't believe her because we don't believe her, because she think, we think she's lying. We just don't take this into a halachic account 
because we believe that she's speculating. That's all. And that there's a possibility that he's alive. And we think that she's speculating because of the stress. Again, if she was not under stress, she's coming back from Bora Bora, and there's no reason in that case for her to speculate that he's not alive unless he really isn't alive. See what I mean? That's the first case in the Mishnah. He's coming back from Bora Bora, and she loves this man. We assume she did her due diligence. Here, she couldn't do her due diligence because it's Shas Melchama. Okay, that's the case of Melchama. What about if she hates the dude? So we'll see. But first, let's talk about other cases being whether they're similar to this Melchama or not. Different dramatic scenarios as follows. There's a controversy about starvation. Okay? She saw him starve, or she knew right, that there was some sort of situation where the village was being starved out. She got out. She was able to eat. Right? So Rava initially, Sava Rava Lameimar, initially thought that, that's, that it's not similar to Lo Amar B'Dedame. Because what did Rava initially think? He used the Svara. He said, you know, when it comes to starvation, um, she's not going to say that he's dead unless he knows that he's actually dead. Because starvation is kind of this slow burn where it's not as much of a chaos and freaking out. And so she's not going to say, speculate that he's starved to death. Remember, this is somebody who loves her husband and would like to believe that he's alive. And therefore, she's not going to be in the same state of confused, stressed, freaked outness if in a state of starvation as she would be in Melchama. And therefore, in the case of starvation, we're going to be more likely to believe her because she has her wits about her. Like I said, it's a calmer kind of death than Milchama, and therefore she has her wits about her, and we do believe her. That's what Rava wanted to say. But then, as he had more experience as the rabbi and the Rosh Hashiva, he realized maybe that's not the case as follows. Hadar Amar Rava, but then he retracted his ruling because to say that no, starvation and Milchama are actually similar. Why? Because the following scenario happened. This is called, uh, what did they call that in the... Um, uh, the, in the fourth year of the Y.U. Smicha, when you have like the rabbinical shimush, right? <laughs> so when he had the experience, he realized that the following, real world experience. What would happen? A woman came before Rava when he was a young rabbi and she said, my husband died from starvation. So Amar la. But, you know, he may have been a young, inexperienced rabbi. But he was always Rava, right? He was very, very smart. And so he tried to test her, and he says, Amrullah, Shap, he says the following thing, very witty, very smart, sharp. Shapir avit the shizavt nafsheikh. You know, you did well to escape with your life. Because anybody, would anybody think in their right mind with that little piece of bread, the nafafisa? Right, that you left him uh, of, of sifted flour, porta de nefasisa, a little bit of sifted flour, the shavaktale havachaye that you left him with in that cave or wherever you left him. Was, would anybody even think that he would survive? You hear what he's doing, Barry? He's saying he is pretending, okay, uh, to agree with her and to support her decision to leave him with a little bit of bread in order to verify whether she saw him actually die or whether her, his, her assumption that he died, died is speculation. If she left him with a little bit of flour, then guess what? That is speculation. He might have figured it out and survived. So, but he didn't say, 
are you just making this up? Because that's not how you talk when you're a rabbi, right? You have to be more diplomatic. And so, and you're dealing with obviously tragedy here. So he didn't say that. He said, you know what? You did the right thing. You had to escape with your life. After all, who, in there, who could survive with one Ritz cracker in a cave for weeks? And if she says, yes, you're right, that one Ritz cracker, he's for sure a goner. Then he knows that it's speculation and he can't let her get remarried. Now we have to go find out what happened. But if she says, no, 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 I didn't leave him with a Ritz cracker. What are you talking about? I saw him die. I buried him. So then we know that she buried him. We know that he's trying to get the truth of the situation. Is she speculating? Or is she telling him that he, she actually knows that he's dead? So he said what I just said. He, 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 he like sort of talked her through the speculation to see if she would agree. And sure enough, He said, yep, you really get me, Rabbi. You really understand. Mar Namiada, you, you, you understand that a person could never survive on one Ritz cracker. Well, guess what? By saying that, she confirmed that it was speculation on her part. And now Rava knew that Milchama and Rav are actually, and, and, right, and, and famine are actually similar in the sense that even in that case, there's enough stress involved that it could lead to speculation, and therefore we, she's not in a menace in the state of Ravon. Fine. Not only that, but Rava thinks now, after having experienced that, that, that famine might lead itself to more speculation than even Melchama. How so, says the Gemara? Had Amar Rava, as Rava right, went on in his rabbinical career, he ended up saying, Re'avon Guriyam in Melchama. Yeah, it's more prone to speculation when you have Re'avon. I'm going to explain like Rashi. The Rishonim are all over the place into what it means here. But let's go, let's go easy and continue in the path that we've gone down. Re'avon Guriyam in Melchama, meaning that Re'avon requires more speculation than Melchama. The ilu Melchama ki Amar Meis, Bali b'Melchama, hu d'lo Okay, in wartime, if she said my husband died in the war, we actually don't believe her. Because we know, anybody could say, Barry, that so-and-so died in a battlefield. But nobody's out there, right? So it's easy to say. Nobody will ever verify it, right? So when you go to a war, So in the context of war, all she has to do to say to be believed is she say, I saw him die in bed. In other words, if she says, I saw him die peacefully in bed, that's already a different thing, right? Because that requires an extra level of certainty on her part, okay? So certainly then we'd believe her. In other words, to say that somebody died in the battlefield, anybody could say, we would never believe her. But to say, you know, he was in a war and he died from his wounds in his bed, well, that's a totally different thing, right? She may be distressed from the war, but she saw him die from his wounds in bed and therefore we do believe her. However, ilugabe or avon, ad ama mesu kvartiv. When it comes to uh, Ravon, and the reason is uh, Ravon is harder to say, and this is what Mepharshim explains, what Rashi explains, it's harder to say, see if you can follow this, it's harder to say that somebody died of starvation because that person, in order to die of starvation, because it's calmer circumstances, ironically, we're going to believe you more. No, rather, because this is, you get turned around. Because it's calmer circumstances, it's harder for her to say it, in a way, right? Anybody could say that you died in a war, right? So that's the easiest thing to say. So, but if she says he died in his bed, we believe him. But the threshold for starvation is she's not believed, 
until she says that he died and I buried him, right? Because starvation, even though it's harder to say initially, <clears throat> we still won't believe her for the reasons that Rava said, because there is a level of stress. And then beyond that, it's also more likely, according to some of Farshim, that's what it means, it's more, also more likely that he survived. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of an irony here that war, it's the easiest thing to say when she's on the battlefield, but all you need to do in order to, to believe her, all she needs to say is that instead of seeing him die in the battlefield, I saw him die in moons at home afterwards. And then we do believe her. But starvation, even though it takes a little bit more, um, it takes a little bit, let's say, less speculation because it's less likely to die of starvation, right? This, once Rava believed that under stress there is speculation involved with believing that somebody died of starvation, now you're in a situation where in order to know that somebody did in fact die of starvation, you need to see them dead and buried because starvation is something that's more of a slow burn and therefore there are many scenarios where somebody looked like they were starved to death and somehow they were revived. And, and so once Rava is willing to say that there's speculation in the starvation approach, right, where she's saying that he died of starvation, once, he's, once he does that, then you need to see even more than just the guy in, in bed with his wounds, you need to see the, actually, the guy actually died because it takes more to verify the death of a starving person. So that's, according to most Rishonim, we kind of navigated what Rubba said about requiring more verification. So again, at the beginning of his rabbinical career, he thought that starvation didn't require verification, and later he said no. Starvation requires even more verification, fine. Now let's talk about various other tragedies, whether they're like war. Soon we're gonna get to the lack of shalom bias. By the way, tomorrow uh, we're gonna define what lack of shalom bias really means. So, coming attractions. Okay, but be that as may, my Paula Right, so 9-11 is like a war in this context, to Amra Bidadame, because again, she's freaked out and she's gonna imagine that he probably did die and therefore, based off of speculation, we can't let her you know, do Yibum or get remarried. What about Shiloh Nachashin Vakravim, snakes and scorpions, raiders of the lost ark? Also, right? If, she, if the guy falls into a raiders of the lost ark pit and all she sees is a billion snakes and scorpions, she's very freaked out, but it's speculation after all. Maybe he did get out. Dever? Ah, so what about Dever? Uh, so, right, that's like a plague. We'll call it a pandemic. So some say it's like a it's like a war because some people I don't know if you know this Barry some people get really freaked out by pandemics other people eh, not it's not as big of a deal for them so so those said that it's like Kimilchama they say yeah she's freaked out right she knew that there was a pandemic and she assumed the worst she assumed that he died uh, and therefore we, we there's cause for speculation we don't believe her. Again, these are all cases where she doesn't have verification, right? Once we know that she has verification, we, we believe her. That's the basis of our Mishnah to begin with. The question is, when she does not have full verification, full verification, how, what are the cases that have enough speculation that we believe that it's made up? So in a pandemic, if she's freaked out enough, then you'll say it's like a melchama and it's made up. Yeah, and some say it's not like Milchama because after all, they rely on the famous saying that people say. What do people say? Shav shnin havamosna 
You can have a plague for Shavshnin for seven years. There could be a, the, the pandemic could last seven years and people do die. But But they'll say, nobody, when everybody just dies, Bishnei, in its proper time. In other words, Hashem takes you when He takes you. Yes, the pandemic is one of the vehicles by which people go. And yes, this is going to be a higher mortality rate in the community. But it's all part of Hashem's grandmaster plan, which enables them to look at it with a less, uh, I guess, stressed out, uh, panicking, chaos viewpoint, which means that it leads to less speculation. And therefore, if the wife said the husband died from a pandemic, we believe her because those who say that we believe her say she's not saying it because she's freaked out. She's not making it up. She's just telling us in a calm and uh, albeit grieving manner that, that he passed from it and the pandemic is not like a war where there's chaos. Fine. So that is the time of war. Now, about this, Ibailu, they wanted to know the following. Let's say, an amazing case, pre-internet, where you find out that there's a war, but who's the source of this information? The woman herself. What if you would not know about the war without the woman? So she's now informing you of two things. She's informing you about her husband's death in a war. Also, in so doing, she's informing you about the war. Oh, so we had said that when at times of war, then we don't believe her because we think she's speculating. But she could, she could have also not told you that it was a war. So she could have just said that he died, and if she hadn't told you about the war, we would certainly believe her, right? Uh, as we've already s- said. So is there a form of amigo here? That's what the Gemara wants to say, lambdus. Do we say that because she volunteered that there was a war, and because of that volunteering of the information, we don't believe her, do we say that she could have not volunteered the information, therefore we should believe her? That's the lambdus here. This is, you're only going to see this in the Gemara. Mao, so what's the halacha? And now it goes to the study. Me, Amin, and Malala Shaker. Are we going to say as we arrive at Kutestav? Why should she lie? The Ibai Amr Shalom Balam. She could have just as easily not volunteered the information of the war, and you would have assumed that there was peace. Odilma, or maybe the other way of saying it is. So one possibility is: Do we look at it almost like amigo, right? That okay? Or Dilma came with the Ichzake, the Ichzaka Amr Bedadame. Or maybe you say, since the war, now that we she informed us of it. And it's ichzaka. It's has been established that there is a war. Now we say that it's based off of information. And we're not going to say, why should I lie? We don't believe her. And it doesn't weaken, right, umara, it doesn't weaken the presumption. And so I'll say, I'll explain it like this. In other words, migo means that she could, she volunteered the information and therefore her ne'emanus, her, right, is, is strengthened. In other words, we have more reason to believe that she's telling the truth because she volunteered information. That's what Migo means, right? Okay, but, but at the end of the day, the reason why we don't believe her has nothing to do with whether she's telling the truth, <laughs> right? How I always say this, 90% of the time when somebody gives you erroneous information, it's not because they're lying to you. It takes a certain psychopathology to know the truth and intentionally mislead somebody, right? But is happening 90% of the time is that person's first lying to themselves, right? There's delusional. And so, you know, they say, they say I'm gonna take care of it, right? <laughs> In their mind, it's on their to-do list and they're gonna take care of it. They don't even realize themselves that they're never gonna take care of it. 
It's only you who's waiting on the other side for them to take care of it, who can see clearly that they're never going to take care of it. But they're not lying to you. They didn't say, oh, I'm never going to take care of it. I'm just going to tell this poor shlomazel that I'm going to take care of it. In their mind, they are taking care of it. So it's the same thing here. Now, there's not, we don't think that she's lying to us and therefore we need this because she, she's volunteering the information. So now we believe her that her husband died. It has nothing to do with her telling the truth. We simply believe that she's stressed because of the war. So once she told us that there's a war, so then we know that she's stressed and we, and we know that it's the dummy love, right? It's in her mind, right? But, but her mind and her perception is colored by the war, not based on whether she volunteered information or not. It was never about whether she's telling us the truth. So that's the other way of looking at it. Therefore, if she volunteers that there's a war, we do not believe her, not because we think she's lying, uh, but because we think she's stressed. Okay, so now, Tashma, we're going to try to, so that's what I would say, but the Gemara is trying to bring other rayas for this. So Tashma, so let's say somebody says, Ishnu aleinu bayis, right? So the woman comes out, she said, look, the fire, the house was on fire, and my husband and I were in there, or Ishnu aleinu ma'ara, or our cave was on fire, okay, cave times, who salti? And she reports, the house burned down, and my husband was in there, and I was able to get out. We don't believe her. Well, we, we now understand why we wouldn't believe her in that case. It's a very stressful situation. That would be like a mapolis. It's another tragedy. She comes out and she's stressed and she just made it out alive. But maybe he made it out alive. Why he wouldn't, why he would run away at that point, I don't know, but we'll get to that. But the Gemara says that's a different case. Shiny Hassam, Damrinan La, Kihechi Dilididach, Itrachesh, Nisalididay, just like you experienced a, a, a nace and were able to escape with your life. So, uh, so to him too, there could have been a nace. Oh, okay, fine. Now, the difference between this case and the case of Milchama um, and other things is like this. She was with him. Ah, oh, so there we certainly, right, say over there that she's not believed because she was with him, which is to say they were both in the same exact circumstance, once they're both in the same exact circumstance and we have evidence that one person survived, that already makes us not believe that the other person necessarily has to be dead. Again, this is in the absence of her actually seeing him. We'll see a case where she actually sees him burn alive. But she just right now reported it right away, coming out of the building, okay? So we have evidence that they experienced the same stimulus and she survived. So certainly he might have survived. Okay, so, okay, so let's take it the other way. Tashma. She says... Uh, we, we, were, we were mugged and robbed and Nafloleinu leased him, right? So who mace v'nitzalti? So we were in a terrible situation. There was a pogrom, okay? And I escaped the pogrom and I, and I survived. Nemenis, uh, right? There, we believe that she is. Why? There, it's not the same. Why? So the Gemara is going to explain why, that, that's not, why that's not the same. In other words, why would she be believed in the case of a pogrom, but not in the case of a burning building. So what the Gemara is going to explain is, a burning building is the same fire. The fire doesn't discriminate. Pogroms do discriminate. Tosfos and Rashi get into this, but usually with pogroms, they, they were, or list him, they're nicer to the girls. Rashi says maybe because they want to keep them for their own purposes, or maybe if it's a wartime, they used to really only have male soldiers and they wouldn't kill the women. All of that. So be that as it may, whatever the reason is, it's not an even playing field. And therefore, she's believed because it is likely in that case that even though it was the same program, that she was spared and he was killed. Oh. 
So the Gemara rejects that, right? Hasam Kir of Edi. We're going to say the case of the, bri- uh, the Brisa, why do we accept, accept his and not her? Because of what Ravidi said. Amar Ravidi, Isha Klei Zainaleha. That's what the Rishonim discussed. What does Isha Klei Zainaleha mean? So there, the speculation is that Isha Klei Zainaleha means that she is protected in some way. It's as if she has ammo, Klei Zain, right? Her, her weapon is a defense weapon. She's got the defense weapon of being a woman and thus less susceptible to the pogrom or the, right, the, the war in that sense. So if, again, if she was not in the war and she reports the war, so then we don't believe her because, after all, she didn't see it and she doesn't know. But if she says, I was there, now she didn't see him, but she saw how, exactly how chaotic it was. So it's not out of a state of like imagination of, pan, of, of how bad it was that she's saying it. She's saying it because she was really there. And we believe her because even though it was the same stimulus, unlike a burning building, where we don't believe her because the same stimulus actually she survived, here it would make sense that the same scenario, she would survive and he would be killed. So we'll uh, pick up nine lines. We're now nine lines down on Kuftas Vav Amir Aleph. Okay, so continuing nine lines down on Kuftas Vav Amir Aleph. So we're going to have the fire incident. But in this case, there was actual visual evidence that may or may not change the equation of whether we believe her. As we just said, a woman, when she comes out of a fire, so now she says, we were both in the fire and I survived, that actually works against us believing her because there's evidence that with the same fire, one person survived, so maybe the other person survived also. However, this case was different, as follows. Who governed the Bishilhi Hilulei? This is really tragedy. Tragedy strikes. Shilhi Hilulei is the uh, marriage residence. Uh, the Shilai Lulei is the, is the wedding. And then Itle Nura Beganine. Beganine is the residence. Like, let's say in Yeshiva or whatever, you have these caravans for the, the, the Chasan Kala suite, right? And so the Chasan Kala caravan was on fire. That is truly awful. So at the end of the wedding, Bishilhe is the end, right? Like the, uh, the hem of a, uh, of a, of a Beged. So at the end of the wedding, they go to the, like Chasen Kala suite, and a big fire, Italy, Nura, big fire breaks out, big Ganane, in that Chasen Kala suite. So, Armelahu, Divisu, Chazu, Gavari, Chazu, Gavari. So, the wife, right, the Kala comes out, and she's running, and she's out of this burning caravan, we'll call it, and it says, Look, look at my husband, look at my husband. She is beside herself, obviously, with grief. She's pointing to the burning caravan, see, my husband's burning alive in there. Sure enough, Asu Chazu, Gavar, Charocha. They go in there and they see a charred, right, remains of a human being, of a, of a man. Dishti, Ufista Dida Dishadja. He's lying there with, and also a, a piece of a hand is lying there. Okay. Savar of Chiyabar Avin, the Maymar. I don't know why the hand needs to be there, but be that as it may, it looks like, um, like certainly it could have certainly been him. Because she's pointing at him and she says there's a fire and sure enough there's a body. So in that case do we believe her? So let's see. So Rukhia Barabin the Maymar, Hainu, Ishnu Alenu, Bais, Ishnu Alenu Ma'ara. Rukhia thought, no. This is like when you say that the house was on fire or the cave. Right? And just because in other words, just because there's a charred corpse in there doesn't necessarily mean that it's the man, that it's the husband. That it's the groom. Wow. So he's saying like this. 
just like we don't believe a woman when she left the fire because we think that she uh, doesn't realize that he could have also gotten out. So we continue to not believe it even if we find the charred remains. That seems amazing. But he's saying, well, I guess there's still a possibility that the husband got out and somebody else came in. And that's where I think the other hand comes in. Because when you see the hand, so obviously somebody attempted to save somebody. Oh, once you know, so it's the hand that may counteract the corpse. Because when you see the severed hand and you see somebody may have attempted to save somebody, that introduces a new doubt as to whether the corpse that we're finding is that of the person that was in there in the first place, being the groom or the chassan, right? Or the person who tried to save him. Sometimes uh, tragically does happen. When you go in and try to save somebody, that person does indeed get saved and a person gets tragically killed uh, and sacrifices themselves. So it's, I think, the presence of that extra hand that made all the difference. Anyway, I'm a Rava. Rava thinks it's not a good comparison regardless because me, dummy, are you serious? When you say, I just ran out of the building, that's very different than saying, look, my husband is burning up in there. That's certainly the higher level of evidence. And furthermore, we not only see the body of the man, but we see the severed hand. So obviously something happened. So once we have that something happened, well, this is he's not saying that yet. Right now he's just pointing at the charred remains. That's an extra piece of evidence that it probably is the chasun. In other words, Rava is saying to Rechia Baravin what we would have thought. She's screaming, look, my husband's burning up. And you see charred remains. So, okay, there's a severed hand. But that could also be his hand. You see? So there's no reason to suspect foul play. We have more reasons to suspect that it's him. Between her screaming that he's on fire and us finding the corpse, than we do to suspect, just because the hand was severed, that there's been foul play and that they were switched in the middle of the fire. And that's what I would have thought, right? That seems logical, what Rav, Rav says. So the Gemara asks, Rav Chibar Avin, what would he say to such a... Uh, logical claim of Rav. He says, no. Well, he just doesn't buy the evidence of the charred remains. Because, yeah, I could say that another person came, came to try to save him, and the fire ate him up. And what about the severed hand? It, right, it's, it's the hand of the rescuer. Okay, so exactly how the hand and the corpse are interrelated, uh, perhaps that's exactly the point, that it's the hand of the rescuer and also that it's the rescuer that got remained and the severed hand maybe could be an evidence of a rescue attempt, be that as it may, a corpse in its own right, because of the fact that we think that there's a rescue attempt, may not serve as, or at least the possibility of a rescue attempt, may not serve as a raya. And then, Aha. So, wait a minute. Um, where's the husband? That's, a, that's something that Rav Heber Avin is going to have to account for. In other words, okay, we get you, Rav Heber Avin. She screamed, and this part, for whatever reason, he doesn't explain, but she screamed, my husband's burning up. So you can say, well, she was in a terror, a state of terror, and she just thinks he's burning up, but really he's not. That we could dismiss. Fine. Let's say we are, we're going to dismiss that because we say that's like Melchama. But we see a body. So whose body is it? So we'll say it's the rescuer. Okay. So where's the husband? It's like OJ looking for the real killer. 
where, 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 where's, this, where's this guy? I mean, like, they were just, it's the wedding, it's the way, it's the Hassan Kala suite, wouldn't you come back? So now he has to give her tarots for that. So his reasoning for that would be, well, he's so deformed from the fire, he's hideous, and he doesn't want anyone to see him, and he's embarrassed to live life like this. He's going to go live in a jungle somewhere or somewhere where people don't know him. He's, uh, and he's running away. Okay. Seems like Rava is more with, in line with our sensibilities of what would happen, you know, but um, that would be Rebchia's answer. That's what you would do in that uh, wild, tragic scenario. Okay. So now in the middle of the page, the is going to want to know, we said that the, we accept this all, Mishnah was talking about the woman's testimony about her husband's death. Now, let's go back to a regular Eid Echad. Is a regular Eid Echad's testimony similar or different? Says the Gemara, Yibaylahu. Eid Echad b'milchamamahu, right? So, you might recall that in Eid Echad, which we learned on, on uh, Kufcha, um, it's, it's actually, we're going to learn it later on Kufcha Fabez again, but we also already learned it. And Pechas, Pezayim, this idea that we do believe, right, uh, an Eid Echad, in a regular case, to say that her husband's Naaman, in order to do the Yibum, okay? So the question is, would we believe him in a case of Milchama? Well, let's see. In a case of Milchama, the woman was terrified. But was she more terrified and therefore more speculating than the Eid Echad would be? So let's see, says the Gemara. Time of the Eid Echad, Mehemon, Mishum de Milso David Ali Glue, Hulo Meshakir. So there's a possibility, a hakir here. What is the reason that we believe Eid Echad? So we, we mentioned, perhaps, two reasons. One reason, we'll say it outside, this was in Zayin Pechaz. One reason was, because this is something that's eventually going to be found out. And therefore the Eid Echad is an extra, extra level of Nehemanus, because after all, why would he testify and then look like a fool when the husband shows back up? If that's the case, says the Gemara, right? So So that's true too here. In other words, whether it's a Melchama or no Melchama, he's equally uh, not wanting the husband to show up. He's equally apprehensive about getting discovered. And therefore the Eid Echad is believed. And if the reason that we do believe in Eid Echad is because it's going to be verified later in the case of a dying husband, we will believe him here as well. But there's another side of this Chakira. Odilma, time of Eid Echad, as you might recall, Remember, we said the reason we believe in Eid Echad is not because the Eid Echad's name on us, but because the wife herself really doesn't want this to be true. And therefore, before she goes ahead and does Yibum or get remarried, as it were, she will 100% go and verify this information that she got from the Eid Echad. And it is for that reason that we allow the testimony of Eid Echad to count. Not so much because of him, but because of her due diligence. Well, guess what? If that's the case, right? Right? Sometimes she either hates him or really we're talking about wartime, which is why it's in parentheses, but the point of it is here, that here, lo daiko mitzvah. Shouldn't have read the parentheses. The point is, really in either case, whether she hates him or whether it's a case of war, when she psychologically is not in a place where she's going to do her due diligence to check, well, then it stands to reason that if that's the, the driving force behind us believing in Eid we're not going to believe her in that scenario. Right? We're not going to believe him because his testimony in any ways was fueled by her due diligence, which in a case of war is lacking. Okay? So again, the Chakira of why we believe in Adelchad would determine whether we in fact would believe in Bishas Milchama, depending on how you see 
the Eid Echad. And sure enough, if it's because of her, then it would be not believed, just like she herself would not be believed in a Melchama. Fine. So now let's see if we can resolve this. Amarami Barchama, the famous Amarami Barchama said, Tashma, let's do the following Mishnah that we're going to read soon enough, towards the very end of your Ramos. He said, Amar Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva said, Okay, Rabbi Akiva was living in Eretz Yisrael. Got to a point, not now, not for now, but historically, even though certainly whether the, the year was going to be Muberis or not was going to be determined in Israel, he had to go tell, he had to go on a business trip to tell the people in Bavel what the deal was, to go speak with the rabbis there in order to set up the Shana Muberis. Be that as the mayor of Akiva, Finds himself on the business trip, on a road trip in Nahardah. Found Nehemia in, in Ish Beit Delhi. This is the original Delhi, before New Delhi. Okay. So he found Nehemia in Delhi. So he saw Rabbi Kiva from Eretz Yisrael come and he said, You know, I heard that in Eretz Yisrael they don't marry somebody on an Eid Echad. And the only one who does so is Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava. He's like a das yachid. That if you want, if you're a woman who has an eid echad and you're an aguna, so to speak, right? Because you don't know whether your husband passed away, chas v'shalom, you have to go to Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava to allow her to get to get remarried. Benamti lo says Rabbi Kiva kein And I said I confirmed that that's in fact the case. That's only Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava who does who does allow such women to get remarried. So I'm a lady. So and the Chaim Yishteli said, "Emor lahem mishmi," saying my name. Do you know that it's a war zone out here? It's chaos. Okay? In other words, you know, if, in, in, if you ever have uh, a situation, right, in Bavel, know that there's ravaging, ravaging troops and that it's chaos and bandits everywhere and you should believe in Eidechad, right? Because, Barry, in a state of chaos, you have, to, you have no choice, right? It's not like you can get a you know, uh, organized set of witnesses together, etc. Okay. And therefore, I have a tradition that we can allow a woman to marry on an Eidechad. So what do you really mean, Didn't he mean that even though this country is in turmoil, I have the tradition from Gamliel Azakin that we allow her? In other words, like this. Really, the fact that there's a wartime and that there's chaos and there's bandits should really teach you that you don't believe in Eidachan. Because what do we say by an Isha? That in a time of peace, we believe her that her husband died. But in a time of war, we don't believe her because of the stress associated with the chaos and the assumption that things went wrong, that everything went south. So now, in a case of chaos in Bavel, by an Eid Echad, if the truth of the matter is that an Eid Echad has the same din as an Isha, we shouldn't believe him. Elamai, we see that from Gamliel Zakin held that an Eid Echad is Naaman. So maybe it has to do with the other side of the, of the Chakira. Because the Milsa David Liglui Hula Meshaker. Right? And therefore, this uh, Mishnah that we're going to see in Kuf Chapez is in fact an indication, a resolution of this question of how, whether we believe in Eid Echad. Wherever the Gemara says that's not necessarily the case. Why? Because I'm a Rava Ihachi, Maishna Medina Zu. Why he said Medina Zu? Like as if this is a unique to that country. Right? In other words, if the point is that this 
he, that this chaos that he's trying to portray in his town is that it's like a war zone. So then any war zone would be this, would be the same halacha and we would believe in Eid Echad. But he specifically said, Kimedina Zu. Something specific about this town's war zone. And therefore, what was specific? Alama Rava Rava says that, no, this is what was specific. He meant, this is what he was implying. Atem Yodim, Shimedina Zu, Meshubeshaz Bukayasos. Right? So Nechemi of Delhi is saying, you know that there's a lot of listim, right? Bechayos Baderach. Velo Efsharli Lemishbak Inshi Besi Umesi Kamei Rabbonon. Oh, and therefore I, and now his entire narrative makes sense. Therefore, I personally can't leave my family because they need my protection. They'll be too vulnerable. It's a war zone out here and I have to stay close in order to protect them. And that's why I can't personally go to Eretz Yisrael to attest to the tradition I received from Rabbi Gamliel Azakin. And therefore, I want you, Rabbi Akiva, when you go back to Israel, Tell them, tell them that I have a tradition that we allow a woman to marry by an Eidachon. But that, right, doesn't really mean anything about a war time. In other words, <laughs> we thought in the beginning that the reason why he explained that it was a war zone in his community was in order to, to, to really highlight this fact that an Eidachon is named in a war zone. But that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, because it's a war zone, I need you to send the message on my behalf. That's all he's saying. Well, he didn't really need to send that message because we know already that an Eichar is Neman. But anyway, that was the conversation that he had with, with Rabbi Akiva. Okay. So maybe a Brisa can resolve this question. Tashma. They're always traveling by boat. Two Tamidachachamim traveling. Ah. Terrible. Tragedy strikes and these two newlyweds from Brisk on their way to Bora Bora for their honeymoon um, drowned and Rebbe uh, married off their kalas of Hamayim Damu. And maybe that's a telling thing because look at this. Api Nashim. Who was the, who, who did the testimony? Just women. Random women. Okay, and now we can apply it to our case of war. Why? Because water, I'll say it outside first, water is like war, and many women is like Eid Echad. Therefore, this might teach us something about an Eid Echad and war. Watch this. Water drowning uh, is like a calamity, right? A capsized boat is like a war. The Nashim, we said, like a Mapolis, right? A burnt, uh, a falling building, a capsized boat, that's like a war. The Nashim, a with women, even if there's a hundred women, it's like an Eidachan. The Ketani Hesi, and yet, the rabbi, Rebbe, said that they're allowed to get married. So that seems to imply if many women in the sea can uh, be accepted, so too an Eidachan in a Melchama should be accepted, says the Gemara. The Tispera, do you really think that we would really believe these women? It can't be a regular case. The waters where the men were where waters that have no end, not literally, but you just basically can't see. It's so large, you cannot see and, and be certain where, that they didn't emerge somewhere. Okay. In other words, right, if it's a little pond and you haven't seen anybody come up the last few days, they're in there. But if it's an ocean, you have no idea where they washed up a sea. Umayim she'en lahim sof ishta asura. And we already said that umayim she'en lahim sof, the, 
the wife is not allowed to be married. We have to wait to see a body. No. So that can't be the case. So the case must be when they said they saw the bodies wash up ashore as we turned to Kuftesa and Beis. And we saw them immediately. By the way, and not only do you have to see them, you have to see them pretty shortly thereafter. Because after like uh, two weeks in the water, they're unidentifiable. Okay. So once we saw them, right, quickly enough emerge, and we saw Simanim enough to notice that to identify them, the lava Well, once that's the case, in other words, if the case is where they just fell overboard and we just don't know what happened, then the case, then the answer is we're not going to believe them. And if the case is that we no no no, we're just testifying the women are testifying, no. We saw them go overboard, but then we saw them float on top of the water dead. And it was obviously them because that's the clothes they were wearing and they looked exactly like them and we saw the whole thing. So that's already, it's because of the circumstantial evidence that we believe them, not because of the fact that we believe them in the way we would believe them in a melchama. Okay? And therefore that, Bryce is not a riot either. Okay? Um, okay, Yahu Gavra, so now we'll have a story. Yahu Gavra, the Afkid Shimshi Gabi Chavre. So with respect to this belief of Simanim that we just pointed out, so there was once a person who, in the presence of witnesses and everything, he had precious sesame seeds um, that he gave to his friend to watch as a shomer. Okay. Comes back from his trip. Give me my, back my sesame seeds. What do you mean? You already got him back. I gave him back to you. So what do you mean? The guy who put it in with his friend for safekeeping and then went on, a, on his trip. He said, what are you talking about? This is the exact amount I gave you and I gave it to you in, let's say, the following barrel, right? I gave it to you in the, the white oak barrel, which you ne- almost never have. So here I'm looking. You have the white oak barrel, the same barrel I gave you. You have the same amount of sesame seeds that I gave you. It's exactly in the very unique condition that it was given to you here it sits before us, and I happen to know that you didn't give it back to me. But how could you boldface in front of me, tell me, with all this evidence in front of us, tell me that you gave it back? Here it is, right in front of our eyes, plain as day. Okay. So, He says, no. The friend of the Shomer says, no. The sesame seeds that were yours, you took back. And these in the barrel are different ones that I refilled it. And, in fact... The barrel is also my barrel. It's not that unique. This is my barrel, it, or it's my sesame seeds. You're making a mistake. And the halacha is that we believe him. Wow. So we believe him what? Despite the simanim. This, Rav Chista thought, may be telling with regards to the case of the women that see the, the husband floating us along the, the uh, sea dead right after they saw them go overboard. Rav Chistus thought that the two cases were similar. Some of the case of the sesame and the case of the Tamiya Chum should be the same. And really, you might even inform that other case that even in a case where there's Simonim, you might still say, how do you know that it's these guys? Maybe guys from the previous cruise ship washed ashore and they happen to look very similar. Okay. So, now he's saying like this. There, Rebbe presumed... Right, that we're going to, based on the identifying marks, that we're going to let the women 
remarry on the assumption that it's the husbands that died. However, says It's interesting that Rebbe didn't say in the case of the overboard husbands that they were switched out and that we're making a mistake that despite the simanim, right, that we think that maybe they came from the previous crews. After all, if you're willing to say that by the sesame seeds, why shouldn't you be willing to say that by the husbands as well? So Amale Rava, so Rava said back to Rav me dummy, are those two cases really the same? Hasam Ka'amri Simanim. No, when the women were talking about the identifying marks, it was like real identifying marks. You can't compare human beings to sesame seeds. Like a pile of, two piles of sesame seeds look very similar indeed, right? Two human beings are like two different snowflakes. No two are alike, <laughs> right? I mean, they really look different than sesame seeds. That's exactly what Rava says. In other words, when you have the guy, so he had a goatee, right? And he was wearing a red velvet vest. And there he is in the ocean, right? There's much more identifying marks on a human being. Here, what are you going to say? What kind of simanim are you identifying on sesame seeds? I'll tell you what kind of simanim. Just basically the, the kind of the amount that you see there, eyeballing it. That's the only simon you have. But human beings, you have real simanim. You have their clothes, you have their features, right? So here, all he's saying is that this was the amount that was there by sesame seeds. So I could say, okay, it's, so the response by sesame seeds would be, yeah, you're eyeballing a certain amount, okay, but it happens to be, like it corresponds, it's incidentally corresponding to the same amount. And it is for that reason that in the sesame seed case, we're going to believe the Shomer, amazingly, that it's not his stuff. Right? This is like a Shomer Chinam, so we, we believe him that's not his stuff. And therefore, when I got him bogged down with that, the Simonim are not considered uh, definitive. And that's really what we're talking about here, right? Talking about how, you know, what's level of, uh, what level of certainty and verification do you need to know that it's, that, that this is the person. So, in this case, for sesame, you need higher degree of verification because one pile of sesame looks very much like the other and you could always like misremember. But for verification of human beings, we do believe the women because those identifying factors are, on a human being are in fact way more distinct and thus a uh, higher level of verification. Fine. So, Are you sure about this, Rava? Are we really, with regard, going back to the sesame seeds, isn't this an out, far outlandish thought to think that the Shomer emptied this barrel replaced with another barrel or with another piece of sesame. After all, we have a Mishnah in Maishe Sheni, Vatznan, Matzakli, because of love, Kuf, Korban. They used to, as we'll see in the Mepharshim, they used to identify their barrels in times of Shmad. They didn't want them to keep mitzvahs at all, the Goyim. So they couldn't write, this is for a Korban. This is for Meiser. They couldn't write that they're doing mitzvahs. So Kuf, and somebody says, what's Kuf? He says, it's cocoa. It's my cocoa uh, powder, right? So they would have to use these mnemonics uh, for their stuff. But they were doing mitzvahs nonetheless. So let's say you see a Kli and it says Kuf for a Korban, or Men for Meiser, or Dalas for Dimua, right? Or Tez for Tevel, right? Because you're trying to keep the Tevel and the Mai, try to keep it all separate in order to not mix them. Or Tuf for Truma, obviously. So, as the Gemara spells that, not just in Mephoshim, right, in the days of Sakana, right, they used to use these mnemonics. So let's say you find those, right, what are you trying to say? Well, the Mishnah in Maishashini says to you the following, that when you see these identifying marks, you can assume, amazingly, 
that whatever that identifying mark says, you can assume that's what's in the jar. Oh, wait a minute. Why would you make such an assumption? Isn't there the possibility that somebody used what once had been a truma jar and used it for chulin? In other words, if you believe that contents of a container can be emptied and refilled with something else, then it should affect that whole, uh, Mishnah in Maish Hashanah also and say that we can't presume that the content and the label are the same when we're reusing right, cans. So says the Gemara, I'm like, right, that, that, that's happened to me many a time when I think that it's something and it's something else in the fridge, right? So I'm like, Ravina, the Ravashi, the Lochai Shinan Shema Pinan, my mother-in-law is very big on this. She'll repurpose Tupperware. Are we not concerned that you might have emptied up in Maishasheni? Ema Seifa. Well, if it's true that we are not concerned that these uh, Tupperware are going to be repurposed, then why does the Seifa say, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Filu Matzah Chavis, Vekasa Valeya Truma, Harei Luchulin. Why Rabbi Yossi, even if it's, forget about the mnemonics, even if it's fully written Truma, he still doesn't believe it. He still thinks it could have been replaced. Shani Omer, Eshtakin Hava Malay Truma Ofina. The barrel was filled with Truma and it was emptied. Now, Elachulayama Chashin Shemapina. And everybody agrees that it could have been emptied. And what are they arguing about? Marsavari Misa Defino Michfar Hava Kafar. But the Tanakama holds that if he emptied it, then he surely would rub out the mark on the barrel, identifying the old contents. In other words, how diligent do we expect a, per, a person to be? Well, you would expect a minimum level of diligence that if it says truma on it, that if you're filling it with chulin, that you take off the label that says truma, right? Because obviously people will know that that's misleading. Or, no. people are not that diligent, they could forget to do so and be irresponsible about it. Or, alternatively, I could say, intentionally left the mark because of security and therefore, right, because with Truma, we know we treat it differently, and therefore it's not necessarily a riot at all that's the same. So 16 lines up. Yitzchak Reish Galusa, Barachte, the Rebibi, Havakazal, Mikurv, Tevelas, Pami, Veshachiv. Yitzchak Reish Galusa was going, was traveling from Kortava to Aspamia, and he died. Shalchum Hem, Yitzchak Reish Galusa, Barachte, the Rebibi, Havakazal, Mikurv, Tevelas, Pami, Veshachiv. So they sent, they put out a Pashkevilim, they put out a big sign, and it says, This person, Yitzchak Reish Galusa, died. Michashin, Letre, Yitzchak. Oh, love, right? So similarly like this, how much evidence do you need? Is it possible? In other words, based off of this sign uh, in the streets, can you assume that Yitzchak Reish Galusa died? Now, it has to be that it's not really Reish Galusa. It wasn't really, because there's only one Reish Galusa, only one Rosh. It has to be that, that was his name, Yitzchak Reish Galusa. I can't resist the story of my, my mother is a fan of Rabbi Meir Soloveitchik. So Rabbi Meir Soloveitchik was once at a, like an APAC meeting and he introduced himself as Mayor Soloveitchik. So they asked, so the person he was meeting like a uh, senator. So they said, oh, you're the mayor of which city? To which he said, oh no, mayor happens to be my first name. And later he was to report, that was the only time in his life he remembers where he was considered a bigger deal for his first name than for his last name. Be that as it may, that man's name was Reish Galusa Yitzchak. That happened to have been his name. So therefore, the, it, it's, if it's just a name and not a distinction that's uniquely only applicable to one person, we have to be concerned, maybe there's another Yitzchak. That's too far of a bridge to cross. Where do I say the Chashinan? Just like the case of where you found the get in Naharda. So now we're in 
Amar Abaye, you know what? Since we're towards the end, um, we're about eight lines up from the bottom, we will resume with this Bezat Hashem tomorrow.